Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Got it out to a oh. kick, kick smothered, check, Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Kicks inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a player. Shane needs to be in perfect the premiers of 1992 the 1994 premiers premiers the 2018 AFL premiership team the west coast eagles good day everyone welcome to what exactly is the point of all of this? I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 and joining me this week to tackle that very question is Mr. KK. How are you going? Ah, yeah, good to be back. Um, shame it's not great circumstances for the club, but at least it gives us plenty to talk about. Plenty to whinge about as well. This week on the show, of course, we will unpack that round four defeat at the hands of Port Adelaide. We're talking the ever-changing AFL season and whether they're going to have to hit pause on it anytime soon. We'll preview our game this week against Richmond. No, sorry, make that our game this week against Sydney. And we're going to talk where to from here for the West Coast Eagles. Let's get stuck in. West Coast Eagles 6-5-41 were defeated by Port Adelaide 13-11-89. Now, KK, before we dive into a recap of this one, I'd just like to start things off with a bit of an apology. Uh, Last week when I was editing the podcast, I actually noticed there was a bit of an audio glitch. You know, I, I can't quite trace what caused it, but it actually led to the podcast sounding like I was pumping up the Eagles' tyres for last week and perhaps even even tipping it as a turning point in the season and maybe suggesting we might even win that game. Now, as I said, I'm not sure what caused the glitch. I'm looking into it. I'm going to assure you all that it will never happen again because pretty much everything that it sounded like I said on the episode last week uh, failed to come to fruition spectacularly. Take me through the Port Adelaide game. Uh, they sucked me in too because I tipped us to win. I think we really just put too much stock into the, the hub and what uh, what mental state our guys were in and all the problems and like, okay, now we've got a day game, we've got conditions we like, we know when we're going home, we've got some certainty, let's sort of clear the air, backs against the wall, just go out and get it done. And we did for 10 minutes of the third quarter, which is nice, but it's nowhere near enough to beat any team in the AFL, let alone a team that's doing as well as, as Port are. I, there's so many problems, I don't really know where to start. The, I think the most damning thing for me is that every game seems to look like our first game of the preseason, that we're just underdone, guys can't run out quarters, there's no rhythm, we can't hit one-metre handballs to a moving target without stuffing it up and just don't seem to have structures around stoppages no one's moving. It's there's, there's so many problems. I really don't know where to start. And I think the biggest thing for me, it appears that we really coasted through the break between round one and round two, and that's really disappointing. I thought that one of the strengths of our club was the the maturity and the professionalism in our list. That with that um, unscheduled break and a, a bit of a bit of flux around the season, that our guys could be could be trusted to do the the best and come back in the best form both the players and from a coaching side. And it, it just seems like we've 
done nothing for three months and we've come back, think we're just going to waltz into the season and it's going to be fine and we're getting found out badly. Yeah, that sounds like a, a sentiment that's been repeated a few times now on Big Footy and on the pod is that we all seem to think because we're a very mature side, which we are, you only have to look at the game profile to prove that. We've got loads of 150 plus gamers in the sides, obviously premiership winners as well, guys that should know what it takes. Everyone figured because of that, we'd come in and, and probably get off to a flyer. We were happy to write the Gold Coast game off as a bit of an anomaly after a weird break and who knew what was going to be served up first round back, okay. Second game, Brisbane, well, they're a good side, so maybe we can write that one off as well, but maybe there's some signs. Third game now, Port Adelaide, not denying they're a good side, but it is definitely a trend at this point. There's no writing anything off, like you touched on as well, day game. We knew when we were coming back, the boys should have been in a good mood. The coaches should have been absolutely honing in on this one as a must-win there was no reason to not perform, and outside of a brief period in the third, which we will, I think, sort of circle around back to later on, the performance was just not there. It was abject, and you said we don't know where to start. I'm going to start with a familiar sentiment, as I have in the last couple of weeks. The half-forward line and the small forwards, the forward line in general, failing to lock the ball in, failing to apply pressure at ground level. For a change, the Eagles actually won the clearances quite comfortably in this one, 36-23 to 23 on the day. Uh, there was a few stretches where we'd get consistent centre clearances and centre breaks only to hack the ball inside 50 and have it rebounded straight out. KK, we obviously had Jermaine Jones on his debut and Josh Kennedy had a great game, which was a very nice silver lining in all of this. Aside from that, you've got, again, Cripps no good, darling. Absolutely nothing from him. Archie was a little bit better, but didn't do much inside 50. Uh, and, and Lee and Ryan probably pretty good on the day as well, but, but nothing special, nothing that rings in the mind from a great bit of pressure or locking the ball and anything like that. Every time we get the ball inside 50 this year, it's just coming straight back out. And I think it's at the point where we have to do a drastic personnel change. What do you think? Uh, personnel or coaching, I, I'm not sure which. I really... You kind of need to be at the ground and actually see a bit more of an overview of the game. Just all you see on TV is we kick it inside 50, um, bringing the ball to ground. There's no one there. So, so many times in the game, we were just outnumbered in our forward line. And I'd, we've got a great bunch of small forwards. I don't really know where they are. Because when they did get near the ball, he say Jones was pretty handy for debut. Ryan was good. Archie was better. Um, Cripps, Cripps was nowhere. But the guys, when they got the ball, were okay. But there's so many times there just was no one there and I think personnel yeah there does, does need to be a couple of personnel changes in there but we, we've got to look at our, our coaching structures and how we're, we're getting the ball in there because I'm surprised we did win the clearances I hadn't looked at the stats because it didn't feel like it, although we did have some pretty decent taps and, and centre breaks but as you say we made no use of them and you add on that that the number of times that kicks got smothered going inside 50 and that sort of comes back to that pre-season feel like that we're just off the pace and not understanding the rhythm of the game and when we've had three weeks at AFL level that's just really inexcusable. Because I'm a big loser I was sitting at home watching the game by myself and I, I tend to largely watch in silence if, if I'm just sort of in that environment uh, watching it on TV but at one point and again to flag because I am a big loser I literally yelled at the TV you have to be in front your forwards the clue is in the name I don't know how many times we kicked the ball to a Port Adelaide guy standing 10 meters in front of his direct opponent we're supposed to be the guys on the lead gents I don't know if you if you remember that one from last year or from the year before I just don't understand 
what is going on with our ball movement at the moment. Uh, moving from line to line, we might as well look at the midfield. Again, another poor day there. Despite the clearance numbers, some very ineffective footy going on there. Gaff tried hard again. Uh, Kelly was a little better, and certainly that combo mid slash half forward. We started to see some signs there. He obviously got forward and, and bagged a goal uh, for himself as well. But nothing major standing out from Sheed, from Yo again. You know, he tried a bit harder, but oh well. Uh, Redden, again, a really difficult game for him. The midfield isn't working. Nick Nat was fine. I think he was one of our better players, but that's not saying a lot. Hickey, again, a very difficult day for him. Second time in a row he's been selected and given us not much. From a midfield perspective, KK, I've been underwriting it as effort, but it's now time, I think, to seriously start questioning what the strategy is and and definitely making a change there. Yeah, we really haven't integrated Kelly into the team at all. He's really come in as a replacement for Hutchings when you look at pure ins and outs, but totally different players and we're not having the sort of structure that Hutchings provides and someone has to play that role. I think Redden did a bit in the second half. Someone said he was playing on Ollie Wines and I don't recall Wines really having too much of an influence. Maybe that's something we need to look at is say get one of Kelly, Yo or Shuey out of that middle, put Redden in there as as the grunt, as the defensive stopper, um, and then whoever's not that midfield can sort of rotate off that half forward flank because or start on the wing because all those guys are, are great users of the ball in space um, and they're very effective going forward. And I reckon that's probably that, that's one big change we can make. We didn't talk about Brander as the mid in the midfield as well. That is a, a bit of a, a polarizing topic on the board at the moment. Um, I'm seeing just a lot of things that aren't really impressing me at the moment with him. Um, he's not alone, uh, but, but certainly the, the effort and the intensity, I think, is, is a long way off what it needs to be. And if he wants to make the most of his opportunities, then he needs to sort that out. Look, while we're talking about Brander, let's unpack it a little bit more. It seems like it's turning into an almost weekly fixture uh, on the podcast but and certainly on the board. Because of his high draft pedigree, there's a lot of hope for him. And then you compound that with the fact that we're seemingly playing him out of position or certainly playing him in a position that is new to him. There's going to be a lot of scrutiny on him. I thought he was better this week. So the Brisbane game last week was his best game. But this week, from a link-up perspective, I actually thought he was starting to work his way into it. He had a couple of rebounds off half-back. He found the footy all right. There are a few times some interesting, awkward, blind-over-the-shoulder handballs. But nonetheless, he was trying to take the game on a little bit and play a 1-2 with somebody running past. I actually think he's starting to figure it out, which maybe isn't surprising given that he's only played three consecutive games now for the first time ever. But also, the ball use is really troubling uh, he's finding a few marks around the ground and linking up in that capacity, but the intensity when the ball is loose and not coming to him on a platter, there was one particular tackle that was just disgusting. I forget who it was on. I shouldn't even call it a tackle. He ran towards the ball at a laughable angle that would get you dropped from a lot of teams. Somebody just ghosted right past him. He's not a ground-level player. He has to have it dished to him on his chest at this stage in his career, which for a guy of his size is quite disappointing. But I think... Certainly for me, we'll get to our ins and outs later on, but I actually think they need to start or keep persisting with him because maybe he's turning a little bit of a corner. And if we're going to waste a year anyway, we might as well waste it finding out if this guy is who they clearly think he can be on a wing. I I actually think Brander's not a game winner, uh, but not a game loser by any stretch. So maybe they should continue with this experiment somewhat. 
while we're talking about the midfield dynamic, this is something that's sort of been, I've been thinking about it for a while, but I didn't want to bring it up, especially didn't want to bring it up on Big Footy because he's another polarising character. Chris Marston, obviously everybody knows he was playing that defensive winger, that red winger role, whatever you want to call it. Now we seem to replace him with a combination of Brander and Redden. I wonder if that loss of stamina, everybody knows he was a great runner. You only have to look at his time on ground last year, you know, 94% in both finals, 89, 86, 87, 92, 91. He averages the very high 80s percent of game time. What was effectively a one-man role has now become a two-man role. And I wonder, KK, if that's leaving us short in other areas. And, And basically, unless you have a ridiculous gut runner, how we can effectively utilize that role or do we just have to drop it altogether? I think you make a very good point. What's compounding the issue with us not being able to lock it inside our forward 50 is we're not being able to to cut off that rebound kick out of out of 50 either and that's where guarding the space controversially actually um, was a very important skill for us to have in our defensive setups and yeah I think you're right we, we have probably lost more than we we thought with with Marston and yeah, we need to rethink it then. If we're not going to have someone that's capable of doing that role, then we need to structure up differently, When we, especially when we're trying to stop oppositions from transitioning the ball. Yeah, it just occurs to me, you know, you mentioned Tim Kelly replacing Hutchings, so we've tried to maybe find an extra mid in there because their roles aren't exactly alike for like. But we've sort of shoehorned Kelly in a bit, and now we're playing two players in a role that was effectively previously occupied by one the balance is wrong, and I, I wonder if that is contributing to it more than people want to recognise or, or perhaps have thought of. Let's move away from the Port Adelaide game a little bit, but before we do, we'll talk about that little purple patch in the third quarter. Ten minutes of really nice footy. We kicked three straight goals. I think at one point we had six straight clearances in that game. We start in, in that quarter started at six to nothing in the clearance department. So, cutting the lead to under two goals. The footy started to resemble a little bit more West Coast Eagles footy. Even late in the second, we started to link up, you know, switching off half back and two or three kicks in a row just to switch, slow it down, move the ball. And we went from half back all the way up to full forward. Do we take anything from that? The fact that that is still working, albeit in a ridiculously small period of time, is that a clue that maybe they're starting to figure it out? Because for me, it's the best stretch of 10 to 15 minutes of footy we've played. But I mean... Does, does it matter? Is it something we can bank on in future? Or is it just one of those things where, you know, stuff happens, momentum swings happen in footy, and, and we just happen to have our little 10 minutes of uh, purple patch there? Yeah, I'm struggling to extrapolate it over a longer period. I think it's it, it's a bit like we went in at half time, we'd had a poor first half, got a rocket, came out with the, the intensity for 10 minutes, and then, and then it just dropped off. And you, you get ebbs and flows in AFL footy, and even the worst teams have, have purple patches for that time. And it, it just reminds too much of 2019 where we just had those patches of of good playing reminded us of, of the premiership team, and so many of those guys are still there. So it, it's natural to watch them play and go, oh, yeah, they can do that. That's just like 2018. But for whatever reason, and I, I do think it's largely mental, they're not doing that for, for long enough. And, yeah, if you can fix that problem, then good luck to you. And it, it may even have been a bit of a case of Port dropping off a bit during that, that time as well. Um, speaking to uh, Port fans that have watched all their games, they said their third quarters have been a bit a bit flat, but they've often had such good positions going into half time that they just coasted a bit through the third quarter and then put the foot down again in the fourth. And our game really followed the same pattern. So I want to take the positives from it and... Every week when I watch the game and we've had 
a patch like that in the two previous games as well. Mm. And I'm like, I get sucked straight back in. It's like, oh, this is it. Yeah, this is the turn of the corner. And then they just take a dump on us again. And, yeah, it's depressing. Moving along, we're going to discuss now an ever-changing situation. So who knows if this is going to be even correct information as of tomorrow, as of the next day, as of later in the week, if you're listening to this one a little bit later on. But let's tackle this ever-changing AFL fixture, season, protocols, whatever you want to call them. KK, we'll start with the obvious change. We were set to play Richmond this week, but the Queensland government have announced uh, an alteration in their border control policies. So they aren't going to allow any Victorian travellers due to a surging uh, COVID cases in Victoria. South Australia seem to be set to follow suit. They're going to keep the borders closed and not allow any travellers from Victoria at the minute and, and extending through into July and who knows how long beyond that. We've got constant reshuffling of the fixture. The league protocols are changing all the time. Uh, I, I've just heard recently that Steel Sidebottom and Lyndon Dunn, they're facing potential breaches uh, of the COVID protocols. Connor McKenna last week or two weeks ago with his whole situation at Essendon as well. There is a lot that is happening in a very short period of time that is making me think that, KK, perhaps the season is about to be paused for a second time. Where do you stand on all of these ever-fluctuating changes in the AFL? They're certainly earning their money at, at the moment. I bag the AFL out for a lot of things, but they're they're doing the, the best they can in the current situation. But sooner or later, they're going to have to bite the bullet because the only solution going forward is to not play games in Victoria. That's... Those teams need to fly to wherever, and similar to what the hub's going to be in WA, they will fly, play some games amongst themselves while they're quarantining. Once that's over, they can play local teams, and then they go home and, and, and do it all again. So we've got some fixture changes this week. There's Both the Adelaide clubs are due to play in Victoria the round after, and that was scheduled so that they would play that game and then July 20, when the borders would be open, they'd come back to SA and be able to go on with the season. Now that's changed, though. We'll have to do a two-week quarantine if that fixture holds, so I expect those games will be changed. But I don't really see how the AFL can change them. They'd have to presumably play them in SA and get an exemption from the SA government similar to what the WA government's given for the hub teams in Perth, where they can play during the quarantine period. And every round we get through, the AFL's getting fewer and fewer combinations of teams that they can rearrange the fixture because you run out of teams you haven't played yet and it's going to be increasingly difficult. So, yeah, I have real fears as after today that that the season's going to have to be paused and it might just be a pause to to reset a fixture with a bit more certainty, but it's going to have to involve pretty much zero footy in Victoria as far as I can see. I don't see there's another solution. Well, you say that, but of course they are still planning to play the grand final at the MCG because they have an unbreakable contract until the end of bloody time. So anyway, they, look, yeah, they skipped a fixture a couple of rounds ago. Now they've changed five fixtures this week. You're changing fixtures two or three days before they're set to be played. You know, Carlton and St Kilda have found out that they're playing on Thursday on Monday. It's a very, I'm not going to say farcical because it is a difficult situation that's changing on the fly for them, but... It's, from an integrity point of view, certainly not the most professional look for a league. I think we can all sympathise with why the changes are being made, so I'm not going to pan them for it. But just as an observer, I am starting to question the legitimacy of all of this uh, because, look, let's be honest, at the start of the year and upon the resumption of the season, 
I think you and I agreed that, yes, this season is legitimate. It's a little bit different and maybe it's a bit odd. It's one for the history books, but whoever wins it will be the best team, all of that sort of stuff. Believe me, I'm not just saying this because the Eagles are bad. Uh, It doesn't affect me that the Eagles are bad in this discussion. I'm starting to wonder whether they should just call the season off in the next couple of weeks. If you start getting more of these issues crop up, changing the fixtures the week of again and again and again, if those things do start to creep in, I am actually wondering whether they should and will call the season off. The longer the season goes, the better for the Eagles, as far as I'm concerned, because I think they will turn a corner eventually. If you ended the season right now, we'd be bottom three, bottom four, and we'd be sending a fantastic pick to Geelong. So calling the season off now does me no good as an Eagles fan. But as, a, as an observer of the AFL and trying to follow the football, I think we are starting to get into the point where it's all getting a bit hard to try and do this and say with a straight face, no, no, this is legit. This is a real season. All of these things count. I'm not much interested in playing a week, then three months off, then four or five weeks, then two months off, then another week, and then a month off, and then three weeks and some final. I don't, it doesn't feel right to me, KK. It doesn't feel like what a professional sporting league should. No, and money talks at the end of the day, doesn't it? And that's, that's the reason why they're trying to push this through, that every cancellation has a financial hit for them. And there's even a, a longer-term thing, that if you have a whole season without football, and I've even found it from talking to other people who are really rusted on footy fans, they've they found other things to do with their weekends the last few, few weeks. And the AFL is obviously scared of that, that if they have no footy for a season, people will just find other things to do and they'll lose a bunch of fans that will never come back. So I, I can see why they're pushing through. But, yeah, as, as you say, we, we can't have a, a fixture that stops and starts. And I, I can't see if they had a break that they could restart with the same length and then you're getting into even less integrity because you'll have teams that just haven't played each other. Um, as bad as our record looks, we may have played three of the top four in the last three weeks for all we know. So if we had a season where it was it's split to a conference type thing or we only got – 12 games and then extended finals, wherever they, they did it, it's yeah, certainly going to have a, a big asterisk at the end of it. It reminds me somewhat of the AFLW fixture where it's because of the number of teams and because of the length of the season, not everybody plays everybody for a start, uh, but there is a conference system and you do end up with these results where sometimes the third best team in a conference might miss finals where they're much better than the other teams in the other conference. You know, it's just a, a disappointing element of the fixture. But at the very least with that, you know what you're getting into coming in. So if they were to switch to some sort of conference system or a, or a you know, WA hub and an SA hub for the rest of the year or, or some sort of situation like that. And look, you're right, I don't envy the AFL trying to solve this. But if they do come to a scenario like that, that's a massive change to make on the fly in the middle of the year. At the very least, if you know what you're getting into and you say, yep, for whatever reason, 2020, we're doing conferences. Level playing field, everybody knows what they're dealing with, and you can kind of get on with it. But, yeah, I am starting to wonder where they're going to go from here. Fingers crossed that, obviously, it doesn't pause and that they can resume in a bit of a WA hub. We've seen Trent Cochin today have a bit of a sook because players have families and babies on the way and sick parents. You know, they don't, they don't maybe want to leave Victoria for so long and go to a hub. Stiff upper lip, Trent. We've all had to do it, and we've been told we've been winching the whole time. So, uh That argument doesn't sway me much. I hope we do see teams relocate to WA. I'm just starting to question whether they will, and if they do, ultimately, how long that's going to last. Yeah, if they did did get out of the conference system, you you could really only see it being Victorian conference and everyone else conference, and that's that's an enormous disadvantage to the half the competition that's doing 100% of the travelling. I mean, they can't be doing that, but 
I'm sure they'll try <laughs> if, they, if they had to do a conference. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the biggest problem is travel in and out of Victoria. That's the absolutely the number one thing they need to get a handle on to be able to run a fixture. Round five is on the way, and despite all of the changes, like I said, we were scheduled to play Richmond this Thursday, but the West Coast Eagles will, in fact, play on Saturday, 11.45 a.m. WA time, and they will play against the Sydney Swans. Now, KK, Sydney were dreadful last week against the Bulldogs. They've scraped some wins. They've had some pretty close losses and also a very disappointing loss, but ultimately, they are 2-2. Two and two. They're ahead of us on the ladder, like most teams in the AFL, and this is now... 100%. There is no taking it back from here. This is a must-win game. Because if we win this game, and then possibly the Adelaide game next week, who are an absolute basket case at the moment, we're leaving a hub at 3-3. Three and three. We started 3-3 three and three last year, so it looks bad, but it's not maybe the end of the world. Obviously, the game style hasn't been impressive. The quality has been poor. But if you can just scrape two more wins here, leave the hub at 3-3, three and three, and then suddenly you're playing two consecutive months of home footy, something like that, there may be a little bit more life in the season than we realise. Optimistic, yes, but look, let's be honest, even the most optimistic person can't deny we have to win this week against Sydney. Yeah, opportunity abounds, and that, that's what's so frustrating if we don't take it. And unfortunately, we do have a habit of, of not taking opportunities when they're presented, um, particularly against Sydney, who just seem to beat us for fun all the time. The, the other thing to think about this season is that you look at the ladder at the moment, You've got very little finals experience at the top of the ladder. And as crazy as this season could end up being, if there's one season where you could suck for the majority of the season, sneak into the eight and just hit it for a month and, and steal a flag, this is going to be it. So, yeah, absolutely, it's, it's must win. we just got to get to a situation where we're giving ourselves a chance later in the season. So before we dive into matchups and what we think is going to unfold, we might as well pick our team for the match. Some ins and outs. KK, I'll start with you on this one. There is obviously an enforced change with Will Schofield coming out due to suspension. So who replaces him and where else do we swing the axe this week? Oh, I think McGovern's the, obviously the, the straight swap for Schofield. I think, yeah, the hickey thing didn't work. But then Allen's been, Allen's been disappointing in the ruck, but... We're not playing Nat Nui anywhere near as much as we should. I mean, with this fitness thing, we've just got to say, look, you just got to tough it out and, and play more. Um, so if we're not trusting Allen in the ruck, then I'd like to see Bailey Williams come in for Hickey. Cripps has just done absolutely nothing all season and, yeah, it's just giving me the shits so he can, he can go. If Jared Cameron is available, then, yep. Bring him straight back in. I think that's going to be a massive increase in our our speed and our our danger when the ball hits the ground inside the forward fifty. And I really like to see Waterman get a game as well. He he impressed me a lot last year, and I'm not sure why he hasn't had a look in so far. And Brander, as much as I kind of want to keep giving opportunities, I think just some of the efforts just aren't acceptable. And then that change has to be made. So yeah, McGovern for Schofield. Cameron for Cripps, Williams for Hickey, and Waterman for Brander. Very good. Not dissimilar to the changes I've got penciled in here. Obviously, yeah, McGovern for Schofield. That makes itself. Uh, I'm going to go with Cameron for Cripps as well, provided Cameron is healthy. There's now been two consecutive weeks of him not mentioned in the injury report. So, I mean, he's got to be back soon. I know manage minutes and all of that sort of stuff, but he's injured or he's not. And, and if he's been off the injury list now for two weeks, it's time to bring him in. 
make a statement, drop Jamie Cripps. He hasn't been good enough. I know he's got lots of runs on the board over the years, but you've got to start making a statement with stuff like this. If you don't perform, you'll get dropped. Archie's worked his way into it, so he has to keep his spot. Cripps is on the chopping block. Uh, I agree with you there with, with Allen or Williams for Hickey. I'm not sure which way they'll go. I really like Oscar Allen. He hasn't been doing well in the ruck, but Sydney have just lost uh, Naismith, so maybe there's an opportunity there where you can roll him as that awkward shoehorned in second ruck, which I don't love. But anyway, one of Allen or Williams for Hickey. The last one, I'm going to drop Jack Redden rather than Jared Brander for a lot of the reasons I touched on earlier. I think the consecutive footy is starting to show a couple of green shoots. There are some ground ball efforts that are absolutely unacceptable from Brander, which I completely cop. If he gets dropped, I won't be sad about it. I'm not going to try and defend it. But assuming this segment is I get to pick the team entirely, I'd just keep him for the time being, uh, given that, at least for me, I think he's starting to show a little bit in that link-up role. We can't keep playing two guys in the same spot, so Redden has to go. Efforts-wise, again, he's been very poor. And the replacement there is a little tough. Xavier O'Neill I would like to see. I don't know if he's ready. I don't know that I love the concept of Ainsworth coming in to play that Redden role. So even though I don't have a definitive replacement, let's say Xavier O'Neill for now, but I think Adam Simpson needs to send a message and say, Jamie Cripps and Jack Redden have not been good enough and they will not play this week. Looking at Sydney now, there's nobody Franklin for them. They've been really, really brutal trying to score the footy in the last few weeks. It is Luke Parker's 200th, so that might give them a bit of a lift. They play a very inside, contested game of football. It's a team we've struggled against away from home over the years as well. Haven't beat them at the SCG since 1999, of course. So, KK, if we turn our attention to the Swans, what do we expect to see from them? And given all we've seen from the Eagles, could that actually spell disaster for the club? They're just not a team we match up well against. And, yeah, they've, they've been a bit up and down and they're not the city they once were. I mean, Parker's 200th. Uh, that's, he's a guy who's torched us over the years as well. And they are a club that sort of is built on that culture of playing for each other and getting up for, for milestone games. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure it's that much of a better matchup than playing Richmond, to be honest. I'm a little, yeah, a little nervous about this one. My heart's been broken by games against Sydney too many times. So I'll still tune in and watch, but I'm not going with great expectations. I don't think we match up well against them. Yeah, even you throw back to 2018, we lost to them in round one, but then we rattled off, I think, 10 consecutive wins before running into them again and dropping that game. So even at our best, we've struggled to match up with Sydney. They lead the league in tackles this year. They're second in clearances. It does really embody that physical in and under sort of grind them down Sydney that we've sort of seen for, for several years and actually for several coaching staffs, you know, we, they've gone from one coach to the next to the next and they still play that physical in and under footy, which does not match up well with us. They deny opposition the footy. Again, that's something that we try to build our game on. Hasn't happened this year, of course, but that's our identity there, keeping the footy. They hold their te- hold opposition to the second fewest marks in the league. Again, that's our footy. So I came into this semi-bullish just because I've watched the Swans a bit this year and they don't impress me whatsoever. But, yeah, the more research I've done and the more thinking about it I've done, I am a little bit concerned with how the two game styles go against each other. One of the players, KK, for the Swans that's been on fire of late is Tom Papley. He, of course, tore up the Bulldogs last week, albeit in a loss. I think for us, probably our player of the season has been Brad Shepard. Is that the matchup you expect to see the Eagles go with to try and quiet down that red-hot Swan? Absolutely. You've got to go with the, the form guy and... 
he's done jobs on guys of that kind of size and, and skill for a long time. And as you say, I think he has been our best player for the season. That's that's one of the probably the disappointing things of the season we haven't touched on that the three guys who missed out in 2018 have probably been our three best players so far and the ones that are really putting in the shift every week with Shepard, Nick Natten and Gaff. And again, that, that's, that's disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a sentiment uh, I definitely echo, and it's something we've discussed on the board a little bit. There's been a few pieces of criticism here and there on Nat Nui and on Gaff over the last few weeks. Gaff in the media as well. Uh, last week took a bit of a bake for not being efficient enough with his ball use, but to me, I agree. It is those three leading the way week on week, which is really disappointing because it speaks to perhaps a bigger hunger issue at large at the club. Is this the week we turn it around? We'll, we'll certainly find out. But if we keep looking at a couple of key matchups, Alir Alir, I thought last week he was pretty poor against the Dogs, but he wasn't alone there from a Sydney perspective. The way we move the ball inside 50 uh, this season, the way we've sort of bombed it in, we've had no forward pressure once it hits the deck. I'm expecting a big, big game out of him. And I actually don't know if there is somebody on our list that can almost do a bit of a negating job physically, it's way too big of a matchup for Cripps, but in the past we've obviously thrown Cripps on as a bit of a negating forward. We don't have a guy size-wise that can go with him unless you start wasting a Jack Darling or a Josh Kennedy trying to body him up. So is that a place in the, in the team where we might be able to find a role for Allen or Williams or Waterman, somebody like that almost playing a negating role against their best sweeper? Out of our current squad, maybe Archie might have the sort of size and he plays quite a physical game that he might be able to get stuck into him. But I really think it's similar to what other teams try to do with McGovern against us and just move the ball better. We, we just got to lower our eyes, hit the leads and, and, and try and take him out of the game. If you say, if we just, if we just bomb it in like we have before, then he is going to have, have a field day, but pretend he's Jeremy McGovern and, and, and play him that the way the teams try to play against McGovern to take him out of the game. And it's, it's shorter kicks. It's lower in the eyes. It's, it's, accurate put the ball on the ground if you if you have to particularly if we've got Cameron um, in there to support Ryan and Jones we've got a, a pretty pretty handy fleet of players with guys with the ball at the ground yeah, and just generally be smarter but if you do want a defensive matchup then I think probably Archie is the one guy in our team that could do that um, as opposed to bring in someone specifically to do that. Uh, as I touched on earlier, we saw Sam Naismith go down injured, unfortunately, last week for the Swans. It leaves Callum Sinclair as a bit of a lone man in the ruck. Nick Natanui, like we just touched on there, I think he's had a good year. Some people are a little bit 50-50 on him, but I certainly think, particularly from a ruck contest point of view, he's done about all we can ask. He follows up his own taps a lot and gets the clearance. Against a guy like Sinclair, he could have a big day. We could see Williams or maybe Allen you know, pinch hit and back him up somewhat as well. How do we go about ensuring that the Swans don't just rove Natanui's tap and walk straight out of the midfield like we've seen so many times over the years and definitely this season? You know, it's it's a physical team. It's a team that plays inside, contested, high-tackling footy. It doesn't suit the Eagles whatsoever when the game goes onto that script. So how do we ensure that we use Natanui's dominance or projected dominance to our advantage? Then we have to be more aggressive. We are so flat-footed at times against Port that it, it's just way too easy for them with their and they're, they're pretty big physical midfielders as well I, I thought we were stiff on a few occasions with um, our midfielders getting 
held without the ball. But it's hard for umpires to pick that up when players are stationary. If you're making that aggressive move and predicting that we're going to win the tap, then I think that's the best way to, to counteract. Make make Sydney do all the decisions about whether to play the man or the ball. And it's kind of hard for them to be just aggressively uh, roving Nat Nui's taps when we've got our midfielders who know what Nat Nui's trying to do, doing the same thing. Um, so I, I think just be more aggressive and be more on the move. We've touched on Tom Papley and certainly no Buddy Franklin, who is a player that has given us fits over the last couple of years. The Eagles themselves seem to have a bit of a scoring issue, but the Swans forward line, at least on paper, it doesn't completely scare you. you know, we've, we've seen Barras do a good job in the past. McGovern's coming back. Shepard is in great form. Uh, we're hoping to see a turnaround in Hearn's form a little bit, and you've got some smaller guys like Cole and Duggan, Jetta to a degree, that can do some jobs. How do we ensure that the Swans don't kick a score that's too big for us? Because the Eagles are topping out in the mid-40s at the moment. If you score 50 points, you beat the Eagles at the minute. So the defence have their work cut out for them. Is there anybody there that you think has a big game in them? If, Like I said, if you give up 50, 60 points, we're done. Can we do enough defensively to slow down the Swans this week? I think the bigger issue is our lack of scoring, not so much as stopping, stopping Sydney. Um, they're, they're probably in the same boat that we are. As you say, they're not great moving the ball forward. Yeah, so rather focus on slowing them down. Let's let's try and get from six goals up to eight or ten, and and uh, hopefully that'll that'll get the job done. In terms of defenders are, yeah, I mean now Cole's back. Cole's back in the team. I didn't. He he seemed sort of copped a bit of a bit of grief from people. I didn't think he was that bad, but certainly a lot of improvement there. Duggan's probably a guy that has been a bit quiet this season, and and hopefully get a good game out of him. So there's, there's been individual improvements um, for the guys in our in our back half. But, yeah, I mean, when I look at trying to beat Sydney, it's it's not their forward line that, that, that worries me. It's going to be about winning that, that arm wrestle around the stoppage and um, and being efficient in going inside 50 ourselves. Well, KK, this week the Eagles are wearing their Indigenous jerseys in support of NAIDOC week. So at the very least, you're going to see a great jumper on the weekend. As for the footy, are we going to see some great footy? I need a prediction from you. Who's going to win this week? Is this the week the Eagles finally turn it around? And if it is... By how much are they going to win? I'm done with picking us to make the most of an opportunity that's presented itself, and I'm done with tipping us to beat Sydney and then looking like an idiot. So I'm going to tip the Swans. I think it's going to be a dog-ugly game, and they'll win by nine points, and I'd love to be wrong. I agree with you. Like I said, I think a little earlier, the more I've looked into this matchup and thought about the clash of styles, the worst about the game I've felt. Now, obviously, last week I went hard on Port Adelaide or on the Port Adelaide game that the Eagles would bounce back. I'm a little bit like you. I'm sick of being stung by that. I went into the week once they announced the fixture thinking we'd beat the Swans. The Swans do not scare me at all as a football team. If I supported nearly any other club in the league, I'd think this is a matchup ripe for the picking. But because of the contrasting game styles, because of the Eagles just letting me down, too many times before, and the more research I did in the build-up to this, trying to find out about where the Swans are winning the footy this year, they just stack up a little too well against us, and it concerns me a lot. So I have changed my tip from earlier in the day. I had the Eagles, but I do now have Sydney as well, same as you. Sydney by 10 points. I'd love to be wrong this week. I'd love for the Eagles to bounce back, but I am not getting hurt. I've been hurt too many times before. Best on ground for me... I hope we see a big game out of Tim Kelly. He started to work his way into it last week. And just with that contested in and under footy, it suits these Kelly-yo types, you know. Kelly tackled hard last week. 
He found his own footy. He damaged uh, Port Adelaide on the scoreboard to a degree. So even in a close, tight tussle against the Swans, I think Tim Kelly's going to stand up. Do we have a best on ground from UKK? I'll stick with that, Nui. I think what you, you spoke about, Sydney's um, weaker stocks in the ruck, that he'll have a good game. But like you, I'm not sure it's going to be enough. He'll be great around the stoppages and then we won't be smart using the ball going forward and we'll get stung the other way. Earlier, earlier for best on ground, by the way. If you're, uh, I don't know, AFL fantasy or super coach, if you can bet on, on proper best on ground, not just best eagle or field, earlier, earlier. Going to sweep us this week. All right, that will do it from us this week. Fingers crossed it is a better week for the Eagles, but, you know, don't hold your breath on that one. But nonetheless, we will see you back here this time next week to unpack the Swans game, to discuss the ever-changing AFL fixture, potentially a WA hub on the horizon very soon. At the very least, there's a full house derby that we can look forward to. Maybe that'll be a spectacle, a bit of a bottom four derby, a bit of a throwback there. But with all of that said, KK, what we've got right now is all we've got. And thank you for coming on to discuss it. Always a pleasure. And Simo, if you're listening, prove me wrong. Please prove me wrong. Please, please, please. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so through Twitter at WCEBFpod. You can get in contact with us on Big Footy. We've had a couple of people sign up and shoot me a message saying that they've actually signed up from the pod. So we really appreciate you listening first and foremost. But join the conversation. Sometimes a little bit of bickering, but always a lot of smart footy chat on there as well after some tough losses. And we will talk to you next week after the first Eagles win since the restart. Please, for the love of God, please. We'll see you next week. Bye now. Bye now.